Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Sean Matson, who's the co-founder and CEO of Mapbox. He's also a former Navy SEAL, and Mapbox is a veteran-owned and operated business on a mission to design lighter and more practical equipment for every environment. This episode was so much fun because in it, Sean shares his experience as a Navy SEAL going through Hell Week and what that was actually like and how that experience transfers into him as an entrepreneur today, leading a team for his company and developing a wide range of useful products for others. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com, and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Sean Matson, the co-founder and CEO of Mapbox. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, and thank you for taking the time to come on today and obviously talking about your, your company with uh, Mapbox. And there's way more to dive into. With this company, uh, I know what you do. I've seen on your website. But how did this get started in the first place, Sean? So we, uh, my business partner, Zach Steinbach, and I started the company. Um, actually, initially, it was just an idea, kind of like, I guess, uh, most companies, you know, before they actually start to put the, <laughs> together the framework for building a company. Um, our, our idea started in um, early 2006 when uh, we were flying up to Alaska and um, we just noticed, you know, this problems with the cargo net system and, and the military and how they ship gear around and him being a mechanical engineer and me being a civil engineer, we literally, we sat beside each other the entire eight hour flight up to Alaska on the back of a military plane and redesigned <laughs> that cargo net system the whole time. And, um, you know, fast forward a few years to 2010, uh, we felt like, okay, hey, now we really have, you know, kind of figured out uh, some of this process. So let's put together the company. Um, we took part of my last name, which is Matson, and his last name, which is Steinbach, and created Matbach. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and and then really look to help others bring their ideas from, you know, paper to production, what we call it, um, and really getting their those innovative ideas, you know, to the military, law enforcement, and first responders. And from that gap of when you first had this idea, you're taking that that eight hour ride up to Alaska, and until it actually started in 2010, uh, what were some of the things you were thinking through beside be, before you ended up deciding to okay, let's make this a company itself? Like, what were some of the things you were trying to think think through or kind of uh, get figured out before you started the company? Everything. <laughs> I mean, re- re- really. I mean, you know, both of us. I mean, when we first had, so we we initially we built the prototype. We had a one fifth scale model of this cargo net system. We started trying to talk with people who knew how to patent uh, products or who had patent products, and start picking their brains. So we started, you know, working with lawyers to patent this idea, and ultimately thought, well, we'll take this idea in this one-fifth scale model and take it to the company that manufactures these cargo net systems and they'll just buy the idea off of us and and we'll we'll cash in millions of dollars you know <laughs> and, uh and 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 retire at you know at early 20s and um <laughs> that, that obviously didn't happen um and um you know it's it's interesting um we can talk about this later but we actually we've actually really struggled to even get that product sold. Um, just, you know, at the nature of the, the government procurement process. 
Yeah, I was just going to say with with that type of thing as well. I mean, the procurement process of of these products with with working with the government, I I imagine that is a a long, arduous process. In the beginning, then, did you think your distribution for these products were going to be directly going going that route to the government or did you have other options, things you were thinking of? Just knowing that, you know, our customer, you know, in our background really fit that 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 business model of getting into to those you know military first responders and law enforcement um but particularly with the cargo net system because it required further testing airworthiness testing and it's not something so to give you a little background the the cargo net that's still used today it's the same one that we we redesigned from 2006 but that same cargo net has been in existence since world war ii and it really hasn't gone through any types of updates um, and, but the problem that we have and have had and have is that no, no one's spending time and saying, Hey, we really need a new cargo net system. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even the loadmasters complain about it. And everybody that you've ever, if you ever ask anybody in the military about the military cargo pallets and, you know, palletizing system and the cargo nets, they will all tell you how, how just a pain that this cargo net is, but no one does anything about it because it's really not the cool kit. It's not a new plate carrier. It's not the new goggles or it's not the new helmet. You know, like at the end of the day, it holds, it's, 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 it's a strapping system that holds your gear while you fly around. So, you know, no one's sitting there, you know, beating a drum saying, Hey, we need a new one. So that that's, that's part of our problem that we've had with getting, even even getting people to want to test the new one. And so from that experience and understand that like this is not necessarily the, the sexiest product per se with this, how did you decide that this was something that you really wanted to pursue then understanding like it's a, it's a need, but not necessarily things that maybe anyone was looking for at the time? How did you decide to kind of go forward with this then, Sean? I didn't know. We were, we, you know, it was kind of a, you know, but what we did, what we did know on particular, like we didn't know on that product that how challenging it was going to be to get it to market. But what we did know is that we're surrounded by guys that, you know, as soon as they get a new piece of gear issued to them in the military, they're sitting there tinkering with it and and creating something even better than what was just done, knowing that <laughs> you know, they probably have um, worked on this thing for, you know, two, three, four, five years sometimes with some of these products you know, a lot of smart people have sat in a room and developed this product. And then as soon as the platoon or, you know, company gets issued this product, there's, you know, half a dozen people that then take that product and make it even, you know, quote unquote better. And so we wanted to figure out how to create that, that cycle of that innovation and, and knowing that we have all these guys that are, you know, on the ground every day and how can we help them bring those ideas to fruition and bring them to market? So that really piqued our interest and, and was really the, the foundation of, of Mapbox uh, to, to, to get not just our ideas to market, but help others get their ideas to market. It's almost like it seems like a like a venture studio of sorts. You're kind of incubating an incubator almost. You're incubating ideas uh, that people have and kind of bringing them under this you know one umbrella of Mapbox. How are you kind of organizing this and and helping people along? What's the process look like when you're working with people who who have ideas for products? And I'm curious about that side of things. We 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 restructured a lot of things within the company. I, you know, I think we got a little bit smarter and things. And so it's essentially run like a private equity uh, a group. So um, we we have our holding company, our uh, and then you know different companies underneath it. I, right now we have five subsidiaries under our holding company. Um, everything from a medical device you know company to um, a, a, a contracting, uh, government procurement, uh, consulting company to, you know, Mapbox, which is our flagship company with medical, uh, products and stuff like that, that are direct to the end user. So we use these, uh, subsidiaries to really, uh, target and, and, um, use them to, uh, as that vehicle to get that product into the customer's hand as, as fast as possible. And, and, you know, sometimes it just didn't make sense. For example, um, our medical device, where wh- while Mapbox has a lot of medical products and uh, life-saving equipment, uh, medical litters and um, uh, bags and things like that, 
now we're actually talking a, a, a medical device that has to go through FDA process and, and physically will be something that will save guys' lives on the battlefield, but also transfers over to the civilian world and hospitals and, and ambulances and other things. It didn't make sense to put it under our Mapbox brand. It made sense to create another company and really push uh, and and do the research and development and everything like that through that uh, vehicle. So we we are very much set up like a private equity uh, group from the from the operation. I mean, from our holding company standpoint, from that. Yeah, and one of the things you kind of talked about with the government side of things, I want to dive a little bit deeper into. I mean, how are you getting distribution for your products? Obviously, you have a, a number of different products today, even having a separate companies within that. But uh, distribution for Mapbox, you know, even specifically, like how are you looking at? that side of things, getting these into the hands of people who really need these products? Uh, distributors and also our sales team. So uh, interesting, it, the government, dealing with the government and procurement in the government is very much a, a you know, a B to G or, you know, a, a B to B play for the, for, for the lack of a better term, right? So <laughs> uh, we're very much, you know, even though we're working with some of the end users on these products and having to get them into their hands, they're not able to buy them. Or if they are, they're on a very small scale to buy. So it's dealing with the larger uh, procurement officers, the contracting officers, and developing a contract vehicle to get you know the buy-in from the end user to say, hey, we want the Mapbox, you know, Cobra sled. So how do we get that? So then it's working with those contracting officers and working out those details to procure it. And then, and then ultimately, depending on how it gets purchased, that's the distribution. So majority of the time though, it, it, I mean, 98% of the time it's going through some kind of contract vehicle um, or through a distributor um, that has a particular contract vehicle and our products are getting plugged into those, those contract vehicles. Cause there's a lot of limitations to what the, what a unit can buy direct from a company based on, um, you know, credit card limits or just, you know, dollar amounts and other things like that. On that note, Sean, I mean, what have been the challenges of, of working with distributors, of trying to get your products uh, into their hands so they can obviously get them out to the, the end users? What have been you know, the challenges along the way with that? I'm always thinking of other entrepreneurs who may be listening or trying to develop products for the military or whatever it may be. Uh, I'm curious as to what you know, maybe some of those challenges have been and kind of how you overcome that with working with distributors. Challenges is, you know, as we're looking for these products that have such a paradigm shift, um, it's the, the the procurement cycle in itself. So it's great when you get onto a government contract, obviously, because you know it's guaranteed revenue coming in for the contract, right? But yeah. but also that prevents people from coming in, competitors to come in and, and replace you until that contract is over. Uh, unless unless there's a, a significant change where you can you can make a case that yours is uh, uh, significantly better or you know other things and then that breaks the contract and, and works yourself in or, or you know they, they, they dual track it where um, but usually uh, just because they want to test it you know they want to go through a lot of testing and reevaluation and making sure that you know the government's spending the money correctly on these products so just because you came out with this new widget doesn't mean that it's going to go to the masses tomorrow um and and it's very it's it's a it's a slow process and and uh, um zach always says the the larger the uh, paradigm shift that longer that that process takes so um, we've seen that with a lot of our products, and it's usually a three to five year uh, part where before you actually start kind of seeing some of those larger orders. Yeah, and on that note too, just going a little bit deeper into the products, understand that you know your mission at Mapbox, you know, design lighter and more practical equipment for every environment. How are you going about deciding on which products to focus on, uh, which ones you're going to offer, which, you know, the development of that? Because the, obviously the products is the, the core of the business. I mean, how are you going about deciding or prioritizing on which ones you should spend your time on? Because there's I mean, a number of them I'm sure you could create. I'm just curious on how you're going about that. That direct feedback from the end users, right? So we stay uh, 
deeply ingrained and, and, and engaged with um, these customers and, uh, you know, special operations command. So uh, ABSOC, Air Force Special Operations or SOCOM, uh, I mean, um, uh, NSW, so Naval, Naval Special Warfare um, and, and the like. And, and these guys are obviously always out there and deploying. They might not be in combat situations, but they're, they're, they're always at the front uh, of the line in, in the different environments. So when we get feedback from them of the product, uh, whatever they're using from us, or um, you know, they're explaining their pain points to us, uh, that helps us continue to create those products that, that fit those environments. From that as well, Sean, looking at the actual products themselves, uh, how are you going about the, the manufacturing side of things, understanding that the volumes could be you know, greatly different potentially between what you need for different products, uh, and then obviously you're trying to make the highest quality possible. How are you working through the, the manufacturing side of things with, with Mapbox? We build our, the prototypes in, in small-scale production in our facility here in Virginia Beach. Uh, we've got roughly... Uh, 25 employees, um, about 10, 10 of them are, are sewers um, because a lot of our products really fall into that, that soft, uh, what we call soft goods and cut and sew uh, fabrics. And then um, we outsource and contract manufacture um, once the product is ready for market or uh, it hits a certain uh, volume that now it's for them to pick up and no longer, you know, something that we can internally do. So um, we have multiple sewing um, contract manufacturers. We've got um, carbon fiber, plastics injection company. We've got a CNC company that handles those. We've got an electronics company that handles any circuitry boards and different ones. And um, we use those as our contract manufacturers for our products. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes total sense. I was always wondering about that side of things and how that works as you have to scale things up and you're, you're obviously iterating and testing different things uh, along the way, I imagine, to you know find the, the best products that you can possibly make for for people. And, and I just want to go back to even before you started this company, uh, being a Navy SEAL, why did you decide uh, to do that in the first place, Sean? So for me, I always had a passion to serve. Um, I have a family history that, of um, people in my family have served in some capacity. Majority of them have all been in the Navy. Uh, coincidentally enough, um, you know, my uncle was also in the Coast Guard uh, as a rescue swimmer. Uh, and initially, I like probably most kids when I, you know, when I was growing up, we wanted to. I wanted to fly. So Top Gun was obviously a <laughs> big movie. So. I yeah. wanted to fly. I wanted to be a pilot. My mom worked for the airlines. Uh, so I was, you know, fighter pilot all the way uh, until about 12. Um, we went out to California. We were out there for spring break. And um, I was, we were on the beach down in Coronado. And I see these guys running down the beach with boats and logs. And they're, you know, they're, they're in and out of the surf zone. And I was like, mom, that's what I want to do. She was like, <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Like, I don't even know what that is. And so I started doing some more research. I was already swimming. I enjoyed swimming. Um, and then I, from that day, I just said, that's what I wanted to go do. And uh, started doing some more research about it and never looked back. So that's awesome. I, I have to dive deeper because I've always kind of been fascinating in that and watching a number of movies on Navy SEALs. Uh, the Hell Week training. How was that for you, Sean? Look at this. Today's. Friday, right? So think about, go back um, to Sunday and think about uh, Sunday afternoon, what you were doing Sunday afternoon. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, right now on the East coast, you know, for me, it's, it's almost lunchtime, but you know, think about, you know, Friday afternoon around mid midday, almost dinner time or so. And again, all the way back to Sunday, uh, around uh, you know a little bit after a little bit after lunch, right before dinner time frame, and, and think about how much has has gone through the week. How many times you've eaten? How many times you've worked out or not worked out? How many times you've sat down to watch TV? How many times you've relaxed or again or worked out or you know hours that you've worked? How much time you've slept? Now replace that with Hell Week, <laughs> where you don't sleep from Sunday afternoon until uh, Wednesday, you get a few hour nap and, and, and also
also replace all that time that you sat around or you were at work with running around, putting boats on your heads, doing push-ups, doing sit-ups in constant movement every second, every day, all day, no sleep, all the way till Friday afternoon, almost right before dinner time. So that's hell week, right? And um, when you when you when you put it into perspective, like you know, I just think back to Sunday, and I'm like, man, so much has happened since Sunday. You know, yeah. when you're going through when you're going through something like that in hell week, for example. Um, I mean, it's so easy to now looking back at it, right? It's like, holy cow, how did how did that happen? But when you're going through something like that, I mean, all you're doing is basically you're looking forward to the next whatever it is. And and that's how I've always taken, you know, any challenge. I know, you know, a season, we're in a season, you know, coronavirus is going on right now and 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 those things and it's a season. And so some people are having harder time than others, but the way I always look at it is like, you know, it, it's going to have an end. It, it, I, I don't know when it's going to end and I don't know, you know, how long that's going to be, but like, those are all things that are out of my control and I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to worry about the things that I physically can control and, and focus on those things rather than the things that are out of my control. Like I had no control whatsoever of how long we were going to be carrying boats on our heads. All I knew was, I need to carry a boat on my head and I'm just going to continue to do it until they tell me not to do it. And, and that's the, that's the mentality for getting through something like hell week, but, but it translates into any, any season that you ever go through in life, whether, you know, divorce, death, um, you know, difficult times in college, what, whatever it might be, but that's that, that's that mindset. It's just, it's going to have an end. It might not be at, on your schedule and most of the time it's not, and, and some of the times, uh, what you're hoping to end puts you into something that's even worse, right? So there was plenty <laughs> of times in Hell Week, it was like, man, I can't wait to be done with this evolution. And then we're like, all right, hey, this evolution's done, guys. And then we'd go to something else and you're just like, man, I really wish we were back at that other evolution. <laughs> it's way better than what we're doing right now. So that, did you always, did you know that was going to be what would help you? get through initially like before you even started because i mean everyone hears of how how we if you've ever been curious you've looked it up and you have some idea obviously there's nothing like being in it but did you have that mentality from the beginning or did that evolve as you as you started putting it into those words that i just did it's something that evolved but i knew going into buds that i wasn't i was not going to quit and i knew that i was I, I, my biggest fear was getting injured or sick that those are the two things that i was scared about Nothing yeah. else to me yeah. was scary. Um, you know, I knew that as long as I wasn't sick and didn't get injured, that I was making it through that. So um, it just, it, it was never a question of um, that, that I couldn't do it. So that, that has been, uh, you know, for me, I've never looked at, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've had struggles through just like, everyone else, you know, I, I, you know, didn't even break a thousand on my SATs and struggled through high school and college and reading and, and, and just a variety of things like, you know, just like any other person, you know, my, my dad had passed away when I was younger, uh, when I was 13. So, you know, grew up kind of without a father for that. And, um, but for me, I, I never, again, those were things that are really out of my control and, and I couldn't, focus on those. So I focused on the things that I can control and, and really use those to, to give myself the um, understanding that as long as something is, that I control, that means that it's either going to succeed or fail on my shoulders. And, and it's the same way that um, Zach and I run our business, right? Like why, when we take these positions in these companies, right? Like we take a position that we are either equal partners in something or majority. So we never, we, we've learned not to go into these positions in a minority position um, because it's not just right for, it's not right for us. We want to make sure that if it succeeds or fails, it's on our shoulders. And I want to go through more, more of that relating your experience to what you're doing now, but I, just a little bit more on the training side of going through Hell Week, because I've always kind of been fascinated by that. There's different points that I'm sure are more difficult or less difficult for you, at least. What were some of the most like difficult points of, of Hell Week? 
for me, there there was one particular time, and and uh, if you if you get a chance to talk to or have talked to any other uh, seal, they'll all tell you that they sometime during mostly hell week, but sometime that they've had some defining moment in in saying, okay, you know, like. I'm just not sure right now what, what's going on. And that's, there's that, that momentary of, um, I don't want to call it doubt, but it, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's really that, that struggle in that. And so for me, mine happened early in the week, we were carrying boats on our heads. Um, the number two position, um, arguably is one of the toughest positions cause it's in the middle. So you have three guys on, on the left side, three guys on the right side, and the number two position is the middle person. And again, arguably it's the, the hardest position because a lot of the weight is getting sagged kind of in that middle part. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, one of one of the guys in my boat crew was like, hey guys, I, I need a switch out. So I was, uh, I don't remember what position I was, but I wasn't the number two guy. Um, and so I said, hey, I'll, I'll take it. And I, I started going in there and like almost immediately um, my neck started dipping forward and um, they call that ducking boat because you're not keeping the good posture where your, your back is, your, your back is up and your chest is out and your head is up and your chin is up and everything is kind of like it should be when you're trying to carry something on your head that weighs, you know, hundreds of pounds. Um, and it obviously dispersed between six people. So, yeah. Uh, but you're running with this and, and I couldn't do it. And my head just kept like my neck kept dropping forward and it was causing me not to put my, you know, carry my weight basically. And, you know, I, I remember very much that, you know, I, I sat there and just was like, like God, like, Hey, I know that I'm supposed to be here and I know that I know how to do this, but I, I just, I'm not getting it. Like what, like, like I need your help right now. And like, I mean, just like a, a rush came across me. It was like, Sean, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah. You know, it was like, it was just like that, like light bulb went off and it was like, hey, that's all, that's all I got to do. All I got to do is look up, stop looking down. You know, and as soon as I looked up, I, I got in the right posture. You know, my, my chest was up, my chest, uh, you know, back was out my head was up and, and looking forward and I never had, I, I never had that problem in that position again. And, and it was, you know, that was my defining moment. It was just like a, a, a momentary of like being a little bit defeated. And, and, and it just took that, like, you know, basically a slap across the face is like, dude, wake <laughs> up. <laughs> Look up and you're good to go. So uh, that was, that was my, I think that was, I think that was Tuesday morning, I believe, or Monday morning. So it was, like I said, pretty early on. I think it was Tuesday morning. I know we were down. I know we were down at the, the elephant cage. Is one of the areas that that they go down and, and, and train at down and closer towards uh, Imperial Beach. I, I remember that. I remember exactly where we were running at and everything. So, uh, like I said, it was one of those things that really, really hit home for me. Is like, again, I, I knew I could do it. It just I needed that just kind of slap across the face. Like, Hey, just, just look up. So. And, and with that experience, I understand like that was one moment for you where, you know, you kind of figured it out and you knew kind of, you know, looking back on, on it, you had the words to say, just worried about kind of the next thing. But obviously this is a thing that it's, it's days and days and days. You're not getting sleep. You're doing a, a shit ton of physical exertion and you're not eating a ton with that experience then obviously you can you can say in, in retrospect like yeah i was just kind of focused on um the next thing but take me through you know the people around you how that how that influenced the experience uh did you drawing on them for strength being strength for others like going through that i'm curious about how that kind of impacted the the experience back to yeah, i mentioned not, not eating we, we we ate really well you know, contrary to, uh, you know, movies and things like that, they feed you extremely well during a week. I mean, they can't ask your body to go through the things that they, that, that they put it through yeah. and not feed you. I mean, now that being said, I mean, we were probably, I, I don't know how many calories, but I mean, tens of thousands of calories. <laughs> yeah. You're getting four meals a day. They, you know, they do the whole breakfast, lunch, and dinner plus mid rats. 
Um, I mean, you're eating every couple hours plus like snacks throughout and different things and, and very high calorie, um, foods. So they, they do feed you well. And, um, uh, you know, for, for, you know, me and I think, you know, your, you know, when your class is, is all going through those really the, the motivating part, and it might sound, it might come across as, uh, um, it, I'm not ignorant, but conceited, whatever you want to say. But really, the, the the part that really helped drive me, and maybe I think most other guys, is really when other people quit on you. <laughs> um, it 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 was like I I'm being a numbers guy. It's kind of like all right, you know, there's eighty eighty five percent. All right, well, I know what we kind of started with, and you know, I'm still here and there goes another guy. Well, all right. You know, one, it, it was, it was, I used it as, all right, he wasn't, he, he wasn't right for, for whatever reason. Right. And, and nothing against those guys. It's not that I've ever, I ever looked like I was better than, than them. Um, but it just, it, something in them didn't have that and, or didn't want to do it. Right. And that, that's fine. You know, and it's, it's, it's not for everybody, even, even guys that say they want to do it and don't make it through. It's, it's just not where they end up want to go and, and continue to pursue. Um, but I, I use that to help um, uh, kind of keep, keep things in check for myself. It's like, okay, Hey, he's gone you know, keep focus, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this for me, you know, I'm doing this to get through this because, you know, I've always wanted to do it. Um, I know I can do it. You know, I, I've had, you know, obviously plenty of people have told me I couldn't do it and other things <laughs> like that. But, um, you know, for me, it was always really, you know, selfishly to get through it for myself. And, and, and it really, it really does that morphs into you wanting to all do it together. And so, um, even when those other guys would leave, it just brought everything even closer to you as a class. And, and you really find who, who you're going to be able to go through these tough times with and, and have those conversations with, you know, when, when, <laughs> when things are really, really bad. And, and those were, those were the, those were the fun times that again, you just, you never forget. And you laugh about, you know, guys that have, um, you know, there's guys in my class, um, I, I give you an example, you know, like just the sense of humor to help push, push it even more. Uh, we were, so the two weeks after hell week, uh, you do this thing called hydro reconnaissance and, and you're learning how to bring, uh, amphibious vehicles on, uh, you know, up over the beach and other things like that. And so they still use the old, like, slate line uh uh method where you've got a weight in a line and you basically drop it down and figure out okay this is 12 feet or 10 feet and then another guy is recording it on a uh a slate uh and then you come in and then graph that on graph paper so i mean they make you do it all by hand still even though there's machines that can do it in like 30 seconds where this takes you this takes you hours and hours and you know the uh, time to do and um it's a miserable time because you just finished hell week uh, and, and they keep you up and you're in the, and out of the water like all day. And you're then once you're done doing the actual evolution, then you have to, you know, graft all these uh, you know, basically what the bottom of the ocean looks like for the rest of the night. And that could take eight to 10 hours. So you stay up all night graphing these things in a class. And so we were towards the end of it. And um, in San Diego, uh, there's a lot of, uh, kelp that comes up on the beach and like really gets, uh, it's seaweed. Uh, and, um, you know, part of in, in buds is always calling out obstacles for the people in front of you. So we're running back one night, uh, it's late and, uh, we're getting ready to go do our, our charting for the rest of the night, basically. And, um, you know, morale's pretty low and we just finished getting beat again. And, and, um, one of the guys in my class, we're like running and he just keeps yelling, you know, cause he's one of the first guys up on, uh, up in the, uh, uh, formation, you know, kelp, kelp, kelp. And we, you know, we're re repeating it back. And finally the instructors are like, listen, shut up. We know there's <laughs> like, just shut up. Not another word about kelp. Like just run, let's get back to, uh, let's get back to the classroom and you guys can chart. 
like as soon as the instructor said that, like not even like finished his breath, he yells, seaweed. And so <laughs> and then like we get just beat for the next like hour. It was uh, a <laughs> It was it was a fun because like I mean we were all just dying laughing the instructors you know it just obviously pissed them off but they they also thought it was pretty funny too and uh, found out afterwards but you know it's, it's it's those it's like those moments like that like where you're miserable you're you're cold you're wet you're tired you're just you're just in a dark place you know mentally and and someone will chime up something like that and. and immediately everyone's laughing and even even when you're getting beat for the you know <laughs> when you should you know it's really funny because uh you know it was it, it made it made the mood just completely swing to uh, a fun time yeah actually i have a very 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 small version of that with just going through two days for football for many many years and like some were more difficult than others depending on the coach but those moments of laughter where someone you know you have those types of things where maybe it's like towards the end you're all kind of beaten down whatever and you have that it just like reminds you like okay well we'll, we'll make it through this this is fine we're gonna be we're gonna be okay it definitely helps the morale a bit and uh i'm sure it, it helped as you mentioned for you as well and, and from from this experience i mean obviously you know being a navy seal to then being an entrepreneur, what was the transfer of, of that experience into how you are a founder, how you kind of run businesses now? For us, again, like we, we, we really, we run our company similar to, you know, how we ran kind of our platoon. So both Zach and I were officers. So, you know, we, we, we rely heavily on, on performance and making sure people, um, one, understand their job and have the right tools to do it. But, um, then take those and then make sure others also know how to do it. So if one of them is gone or sick or something like that might happen uh, or decides to, to leave the company, um, there's very low uh, um, kind of turnover rate, but also just kind of low like law period for, for some of that. So we try to make sure people are, are, are kind of a little bit cross trained in some of that, some of the stuff it, it, it's almost, it's hard to, I mean, you know, I can't teach someone how to sew. Uh, they either know how to do it or they don't. I mean, you can, but not like, not as proficient as, as what, you know, they can do. And yeah. so, um, you know, but uh, there's, there's a lot of other things like that where, you know, we really, we really work with and, and really try to invest back into our people as much as possible and, and give them the right tools and right things. And, you know, when stresses come up, like how, how can we alleviate some of those stresses so that they can, they can perform optimally for us while they're at work. Right. So if it, you know, we had um, a small example, we, we had a lady who had, uh, just got hired with us um, and, and had some um, um, traffic tickets, parking tickets and some other things and was struggling because she was unemployed before we hired her to to pay for those and to, you know, do some other things. And literally, I mean, we were like, hey, bring us all that. Just just bring it all to us and um, we will we'll take care of it. Like, yeah, you don't need to be worrying about, you know parking tickets or taking care of that, like, let us take care of that for you. And that way you're, you can, you can focus on taking care of your family, getting your family right and, and helping you through. I mean, just little things like that. We try to, we try to make sure that we're, we're reinvesting into our team as much as possible. Yeah. And from your experience, you know, in the teams with being a Navy SEAL, I mean, how has that impacted on like even the hiring front? You talked a little bit about it, but I want to know like how, how does that impact how you how you look at hiring, how you look at bringing people on board, how you evaluate them? Because I mean, for any any startup, any entrepreneur, you know, building your team, especially in, in the beginning stages, is is so valuable, so important. And with your experience, like, how have you gone about that for for Mapbox? I think we're still we're still working some of those those pieces out. I mean, we have our own we have our own mission. Obviously, we have core values. We have a lot of those, and just um, working in the dynamic of, of a team, um, you know, is obviously challenging in itself. Um, you know, we, we have struggled, uh, this year to hire, um, more sewers and things, you know, one, there's just not that many here in Virginia beach Two, you know, there, there, there have been other incentives so that, you know, some of them aren't, aren't interested in, in, in doing and working, you know, for a company, 
Um, you know, so we really, we're really looking for the people that are passionate as we are to join our team. I mean, and we have some sewers that have gone out of their way and, and employees have gone out of their way um, to, they, like, they've bought, uh, a group of them bought um, their own uh, Chuck Taylor shoes and, yeah, and yeah. had our Matbox um, name put on the side of them with like, <laughs> And they're just like, we love it here. Like, we really appreciate, you know, what you guys do for us. And this was just one way that we could show that how much we, you know, we're loyal to the company. And it's like little gestures like that. We know we have the right people because um, they, they are just as committed to the company as the founders are. And, and that's really who we're looking for and who we want to be surrounded by. Um, you know, my, my sister, for example, she's... Uh, she's in charge of our operations and really, really the person who runs, <laughs> runs a company. Uh, Zach and I are just, you know, kind of the figureheads, uh, you know, she's been with us from early in the beginning when it was still an idea and, you know, Zach and I were deploying and, and traveling the world, you know, as, as seals. And we would literally hand her a laptop and be like, Hey, I don't know when we're coming back. I, I don't know if we can talk here it is. Please just take care of our orders for us. And she's just like, okay. <laughs> um, and I mean, you know, this was really early on when like we couldn't pay her. We just said, listen, like if, if you trust us and are willing to work with us, we'll make sure that we take care of you. And we're just finding creative ways to get the right people to, to, to not that we're manipulating them, but just that, that, that we can um, help others and 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 not only help ourselves with that. Yeah, and especially just being scrappy along the people side of things, figuring it out of like, yeah, we need help, and every company, especially early days, needs help on just like, okay, look, like, there's you have to find a way to bring people in to get everything done you need to get done, especially if your situation is you're going, you know, on being deployed as a Navy SEAL, you're like, well, this business has to continue. Uh, how do we do this? And just finding a way. And I think from the interviews I've done with this show, just seeing how scrappy entrepreneurs are, especially early on. I one example that kind of always comes to mind is uh, Cole Zucker from Green Creative, that company he sold, but he was going door-to-door -door sales in San Francisco to sell light bulbs for the first year uh, after cold calling for a while as well. I mean, you just find a way to get the company going, to, to make sales. You just figure it out. Uh, and I've seen that kind of repeatedly again and again and again. And and what, what I want to ask you next is just around with, with Matt Bach. I mean, this is your first, I mean, first, you have a number of companies within this, but you're this first time being a founder uh, in this context compared to being a Navy SEAL, what as an entrepreneur, I mean, has been the biggest maybe adjustment uh, as you've gone about this company and trying to build this company as an entrepreneur versus what your, your experience was as, as a Navy SEAL? Like what has been maybe the biggest challenge for you? I think the biggest challenge is uh, the communication side of it. So obviously with, um, when I was part of the SEAL teams and the teams, right? Like I'm part of a, I'm part of a bigger organization. And it, yeah, while I was a leader within there, right? Like I wasn't the one like always, I, I wasn't the one steering the ship by any means. Right. So <laughs> I was, I, I was, I had some parts and I, I could help kind of maybe add input to maybe, help course correct if we needed it. But like, I wasn't the one steering the ship by any means. And now, um, you know, it was very much, very much following a, a, a schedule and a routine that was um, put in place by, by much higher senior uh, leadership. And so, you know, looking at now having a, you know, the business side of it, um, there's so much freedom that comes from that and and knowing that you know i mean if tomorrow i woke up and didn't want to answer emails well i can do that right yeah. um but i've also come to the realization that you know when i don't do that that just means that the next day i've got more stuff to do or you know the next time um you know but I, over the years i've also you know 
again, just grown to this, to the understanding that I'm never going to get it all done. And there's just too much, uh, too many companies, too many things for, for one person, a team, you know, hundreds of people. I mean, there's always something to do. Uh, and, and it's, it's finding and prioritizing those things. And, and there's times where it's just like, okay, like, you know, I, I don't need to do that right now. It, it's like, even if I get the email out right now, um, it, it's not going to change anything. Sometimes I just do it because, I, you know, I got nothing else going on. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and take care of it. But it wasn't a huge priority. There's other times when it's like, this is a priority, I need this to happen right now. And, and then, you know, those, those get my focus. And those usually also are things that I try to focus in on in the morning time for me. Uh, and then kind of push some of those other things off until later in the day or at night when after dinner, or, you know, when I, when I really don't have much going on. Yeah. I find it doing the things that you really, really have to get done with things where it's like, okay, it, it, this day would be a win. If I got one or two of these things done, I try to do them as in the morning as soon as possible. I mean, for me, that's always like more tired in the afternoon or whatever things pop up. You don't really expect, and then you don't get the things done you want to do. And for me, it just has always been that same type of thing of let's just do it in the morning, get the things that I have to get done. I know I need to get done and move the, the business forward. And then after that, you know, there's a, there's always a list of endless list of things, Sean, that you can work on in your business to your point, or it's like, you're never going to be able to do all of them. And, and I'm curious, Sean, as you've gone along this this journey, has there been any books, whether it be you know business or, or personal, that have been impactful for you? So I said earlier, you know, for me, I, I do a really, I've done a really bad job of of some of that, um, but I, I do I do always enjoy research and um, trying to just find new things out as as I'm going. Um, you know, some of some of the ones that. Um, I've read recently that I really, um, I really liked, I like traction, um, uh, by Gino, uh, Hickman and, uh, the rise of Superman, um, by, uh, Steve Kotler, um, which the rise of Superman, if you've never read that or heard of that is, uh, extremely interesting because it's talking about how you, how you get your state of mind into flow. And, um, and really understanding like, like these, like Superman and these athletes and all these ones that are, are at these, you know, peak performance of, of things and how, how they get their mindset into that flow where really they're just hyper-focused on things and are able to accomplish, you know, kind of superhuman things because they've figured out how to get their, their, their mind and their body into flow. And, uh, Zach actually told me about it. I was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, and I was like, man, and when I started, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of surfing and extreme sports, uh, stories and, and how they relate in things. And, you know, so obviously being someone who likes to skydive and do some of those things, you know, I, I can relate to that, but it, it very much has a, a great parallel into the business, you know, world and, and, and really just, again, you know, figuring out how to kind of live your life, uh, to the fullest. For, for you then, Sean, I mean, from that, from that book, I mean, just what, are there any things in particular for you that you, you do on a daily basis or a weekly basis that kind of help you on that side of things? I think for me, it's more just the, to reiterate a lot of kind of what I've, I have been doing. Um, you know, I, I use for me, uh, a very, uh, I'll say very structured, but, um, <laughs> in the entrepreneur world, it's kind of hard to be, but, you know, I try, I try really hard to do, you know, I wake up in the morning, obviously, you know, for me, um, you know, bef before coronavirus and now some of my schedule is, is slightly changed. Um, you know, but, um, you know, before it was, you know, get up, I go straight to the gym, go to the, uh, from the gym, straight to the office, you know, from the office back home type thing. You know, now it's shifted a little bit where I'm getting my workout in, um, mid morning now, um, yeah. rather than right at, right, rather than first thing in the morning. 
um, which has been nice because I've been able to spend a little bit of time in the morning with, with my youngest son and, you know, things like that. Cause he, he goes to school a little bit later for preschool and stuff. So it's been nice to kind of adjust that a little bit, but I, I have to, um, I have to disengage. I have to work out. I have to do something that I try to, um, if not every day, you know, just about every day I, I I'm doing something, um, activity wise, even if it's, even if it's just walk, uh, you know, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do conference calls walking around my neighborhood. Um, and you know, don't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, for me, it, it helps me focus. It helps me, um, problem solve. Uh, it, it also, if I need, um, time to vent, those are my workouts. Like I'm not someone that goes into the gym and wants to sit there and talk to everybody. Like, nope. Like I do that. I do that all the other times during the day. My yeah. time in the gym is my time in the gym and I want to do my workout. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to do my workout and get out of there and, and move on with the rest of my day. So um, really just using and figuring out a, a, I say structure, but, but really it's just a routine that fits your lifestyle and, and, and allows you to get your, um, family time that you need, your work time that you need. And, um, as well as your mental and physical, you know, health into that as well. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so important, especially as an entrepreneur where, this business and any business, it could take all of your time. I mean, it literally could take all of your time. Like you said, you're never going to be able to get to all things in your list and you could spend all day on this, but then your life would be in shambles <laughs> if you didn't take care of everything else. And so I think it's really important. I just want to hammer that point home. And, and Sean, where can people go to learn more about Mapbox uh, and connect with you as well? Is our uh, main website. So it's M-A-T-B-O-C-K.com. Um, I'm on, and that's on, uh, Instagram and Facebook, uh, myself, I'm at Sean.Matson on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, it's S E A N dot Matson M A T S O N. Perfect. I'll be sure to link that all up in the show notes as well. Just go grind.com slash podcast. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you for listening to this episode of just go grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.